Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Persuasion by the Pint. I'm Jonathan Taylor, along with Sean McCool. Sean McCool, who is back off of his his 14, 15, 16-day starvation thing. 12 days. (laughs) So Uh, I I definitely have a beverage today. Good. We're back in the, the swing of things. Yes. But uh, we've got a guest joining us here. He's going to be joining us here shortly. Should be an interesting conversation. We're going to be talking about sports psychology, a little bit of sports psychology, poker players of all things. Yeah. So it should yeah. be uh, it should be a lot the of fun. mental the, the mental, mental game of poker, mm-hmm. mental game of trading. Are a couple of his books? Oh yeah, trading those up real quick. Absolutely. Yeah, I saw in his in his bio, he's got some esports stuff going on now. Yeah. Absolutely. Which uh, last week I saw that, and I've heard this stat before, but it, it's growing. I want to definitely talk to our guest about it when he comes on. But mm-hmm. um, there's been two huge buyouts in the video game world yes. over the last couple of weeks. Yep. Um, and that industry is 10 times the size of the movie industry, which is just hard to wrap your head around. Yeah. You know, but yeah, it's, 10 times the size of the, of Hollywood in the movie industry. It's huge now. I think yeah. it's, especially for the younger generation. I mean, that's, it, it's huge. It's big. Yeah. It's a legit career now mm-hmm. you know, to be a yeah. professional gamer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's probably just like the pros. I mean, only some small percentage are going to get there, but still. Tournaments, all sorts of things like that around yeah. the country just going on. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. So, I mean, well, I like Madden, well, but not that much. You know. Yeah, no, <laughs> I've just never been a gamer. I mean, I've, you know, had some of the stuff growing up, but I was never like a legit serious gamer. Um, yeah. I know a lot of guys our age are, are still like still doing it. Yeah. 20 hours a week, 40 hours a week, just crazy amount of stuff. You know? So I had to stop in my 20s because I was like I, I was never like a major except for Madden, like the uh, Madden thing. And I had to give that up because I was like you started you start to take a an assessment of how much time you spend like online playing other yeah. people and the, the amount of emotional energy that goes into that when you, and we'll, we'll probably be talking about to that, you know, that today with our guests, the amount of frustration and emotion and how that affects the rest of your time. Cause you get so caught up in it with other people yeah. and then, man, it can really affect you yeah. um, mentally. Sure. So um, not, not to mention how much time I was like, taking a little audit of the time that I spent doing that. I'm like, holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> that's it's, not a good use a of time. So, um, exactly. So our guest, our guest, yeah, yeah. He's, I think he's in the green room now. He's, um, so I want to give him a little introduction before we bring him on. I think he does. Uh, I think he might have a beverage, but anyway, our guest today is Jared Tendler. He's an <clears throat> international recognized mental game coach. And uh, as I mentioned, we're going to be discussing the topic of psychology and success. He's gotten, uh, or he's authored two best-selling books, The Mental Game of Poker and The Mental Game of Poker 2. Jared's roster of clients spans 45 countries and includes independent and institutional traders, world champion poker players, entrepreneurs, esport athletes, as we were just talking about, and also several PGA players. Um, his interest in the mental game was born out of his own personal experience. Uh, Jared says, while playing golf uh, at collegiate golf at Skidmore College, 
um, where he was a three-time All-American. He won nine tournaments. Uh, but his biggest problem was that he ch- choked on major national events. <laughs> <That's>, uh, Oops. <laughs> so, you know, you, he, you, you're kind of driven to find those answers. So Yes, um, for so, sure. So he got into this whole psychology, uh, sports psychology, and what goes into it. Um, so he's helping athletes. He's helping gamers out there. And uh, we're happy to have him on the show to talk about this. To me, it's a fascinating uh, subject. Sean, because yeah. I was just, I was telling him that, um, you know, one of the things I was watching, I think it was before the um, collegiate championship, you know, or Georgia, Alabama, but he was just talking about how coaches like uh, Nick Saban are huge. And I mean, so many coaches today are big believers in bringing in guys like, um, like Jared in the field of sports psychology to really yeah. help, you know, their players get over the hump. You know, it's a big exactly. part of it. So why don't you uh, whip up the crowd and I will add Jared to uh, the stream here. Ah, yeah, here we go. I'll whip Ready. up the crowd. So welcome to the show, Jared. Hey, what's up, fellas? Absolutely. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> See, we didn't, I, Jared was on my other podcast last week. He didn't have the audience like we do on this week. A little nah, bit different. This, is, this, is, this, this is feels whole, special. This, yeah, it this feels like it's like class. ramping up the pressure. I got to bring my A game here. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Hope you can keep your mental game in check. That's right. Yeah, That's yeah. If, I, if only I knew somebody had had any any idea what the heck to do with that stuff. <laughs> exactly. So, so before we get into the mental game, we got to find out what your beverage game is. Uh, do you have a beverage with us today? I do. I do. I, you know, it's I got some kind of the leftovers from the summer. Okay. <laughs> so, That's okay. Um, yeah, you know, I, well, I've been I, sitting. Yeah, in a while, I'm not. Right? I'm not a, a connoisseur kind of like my friends are. So it's kind of whatever whatever gets left off. But this is this is like a morning glass sour ale. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of fruity. I, I'm, I tend to like a little sweetness to my, uh, my oh, drinks. Yeah. I'm not, a, I'm not a big hoppy guy. So okay. neither yeah. are we. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not big on sours though. So that may be really sour by now. Who knows? <laughs> so we'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> so who's yeah, the brand and what's the, it's actually pretty good. Um, who is it? It's, uh, well, it's, it's, it's from Point Pleasant, uh, New Jersey. Okay. Last wave, last wave brewing. Okay. Well, very good. Yeah. All right. So, okay. what kind of sour did you say? Just a sour uh, ale. Yeah. Have a flavor attached to it. it. Says it's brewed with vanilla, lactose. That's kind of weird. Uh, passion fruit and guava. Okay. We'll see. Sounds That's interesting. Little, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's, interesting it's combo a, there. Yeah. yeah. It's. Not, it's I've heard weirder. We've had a few beers with lactose, <laughs> so that's not totally weird. But yeah, you know. That's uh, it's not like I taste like it. Like the sours. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you can taste the lactose. It's just <laughs> one of those weird brewing ingredients that they throw in. So, yeah. I don't Jonathan, what do you milk. You just say milk, right? I mean, yeah. Just say <laughs> there milk, you go. milk stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Parts so of Jonathan, milk. what do you have up there? All right. I've got a, uh, a rogue. Let's see. This one is a rogue Shakespeare stout. Okay. All right. It is a, um, it says the, Trying to read to drink or not to drink. Yeah, that today, is I was going to say, because it's got a little saying underneath. I was going to say to drink or not to drink. Is that what it says? Um, it says, here's to right. uh, writing your own story. Well, there you go. There you uh, go. That's, that's just, that's poetic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it says the Rogue Ales. Uh, let's see. This is the um, Shakespeare Stout. It was uh, founded in Ashland, a Southern Oregon college town, home to the world-renowned 
Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And a little trivia that uh, I'll throw there in there. Uh, it was inspired by this little festival, the Shakespeare Festival. And uh, they introduced this English-style oatmeal stout as one of their three original beers when uh, it was first opened in uh, 1988. So, interesting. Um, not, uh, not heavy on the um, ABVs, only about 5%, Sean. So, oh, well, that's pretty pretty light for a yeah, stout. I was expecting a little, little bit a little higher. It's five point seven, but it's uh, sixty IBUs on top of that. So that's crazy. Goodness. Wow, that is I'm sure that's a stout. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, mislabeled. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. That's a stout collar, I guess. Yeah. Say. Well, I've got um, so I've got an Austin East Ciders. I've got an original dry cider mm-hmm. coming at you today. Oh, nice. And this is uh, pretty basic. Hard apple cider, cane sugar, brown sugar, pretty pretty good. And I'm drinking in my fancy new glass that I got myself <laughs> for Christmas. I don't, you go. I don't you think go. you can see it, but hey, can you see the bubbles coming out? On the other side, I see the it's pineapple. The, uh, oh, the bubbles, yeah, yeah. The, the bubbles are like uh, it's got the oh, etching yeah. in the bottom okay. that's supposed to keep the the bubbles coming, <laughs> so you don't lose the head. So uh, yeah, I like. That. So just a basic. Dry cider. I've got a flavored one for the next episode, but for this one, we're just going good. Trade dry cider. So, by the way, I love your banner in the background. It like it's that? very yeah, apropos yeah. for today's topic. I think exactly. <laughs> yes. Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso obviously would approve. Yes. It's a little big. It's a little you know a little fancy. I was gonna just do the cart, the little construction paper cutout. I was like, no, nah, I want to go big. I want the banner. There you so, go. Anyway, <laughs> Jared, are you a big Ted, Ted Lasso fan? Yeah, I mean it's a it's a good show. I mean he's you know Jason Sudeikis does an amazing job. I mean yeah. it's uh, got all of his sayings. Obviously there's a lot of psychology in the show too, right? I mean yeah. kind of breaking apart uh, you know his psyche a little bit too, um, which has been cool. So yeah, it's a fun. I mean it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Um, I'm I'm a fan of uh, you know British accents. My seven year old and I've been kind of whipping out ours the last few days. So sure. uh, yeah. yeah. You guys, think you did. Well? It's good. oh yeah, def- well obviously I am. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be pretty cool to to jump off of today. I mean, it's a nice cultural, yeah, you know, thing going on right now for you to jump off blog posts or talks or anything else with. So mm-hmm. it's kind of kind of cool to have that. Yeah, yeah, gentleman, sure. Especially because they actually bring in a sports psychologist too. So yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah. Cheers. All yeah. right. Cheers. Good to see you guys. Yep. Happy Friday. Yes. It's good. All right. Tastes like uh, tastes like the the uh, either the wine or the champagne I used to get before I was twenty one on New Year's Eve. The parents would give you the sparkling, <laughs> yeah, the little sparkling cider, sparkling BS. Yep. Yeah, that's that's what this tastes like. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jared. So I'm we a, do a we have a rating. Uh, it's our tradition: one to five pints, five being the best. You can go you know, decimal. So you don't have to be, it doesn't have to be a, a, a whole number. You can go like three, five, something like that. So okay. you do pie if you want, like whatever, <laughs> as many digits as you know. Sure. Where this one ranks. Yep. One to five pints. I actually think pie is actually pretty close. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just gonna, I would just, we'll just call it right there. Okay. There you go. All right. So that's 3.14 something. 3.14. I think. Yeah. And it's, and it's going to go on forever, which yep, is probably forever. how this, the sour taste is going to feel in my mouth for the next four hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Jonathan, how's that low alcohol stout mm. with the high bitterness? Man, it's the, uh, these nitros. I haven't had a nitro in a while, so um, 
you know how they taste with the, um, the I guess the air bubbles or whatever, yeah. the micro bubbles. Um, kind of a little flat tasting on on my end, but uh, so I might I might have to get under the pie. Um, I might have to go. <laughs> I might have to go three <laughs> three point zero four. I'll just go. Okay. I'll, I'll go a solid three. It's it's okay, but it's pretty flat tasting to me. So um, yeah, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not overly impressed. Um, so mine's a cider, so different than what we usually have on the show, but, um, this is my first alcohol since the fast. So I'm going to decide to go in with cider, see if that's gentler, but, um, how long were you fasting? 12 days. Okay. Okay. Like so, no food fast. Like, yeah. Water only. Oh, wow. That's, that's, so, it's amazing. Um, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to give this like, it's good. I mean, it's, it's a light, um, it's a little sweet, but. You could drink a couple of these, you know, crisp air outside winter, like probably be good heated up actually. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give this, um, I'm going to give it a three, nine, five, like just under four. Cause it's just a good flavor. Good taste. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, three, nine, five, three, nine, five. It is. You All had right. the highest score to three, nine, five. That's uh that's, it's a weak, week. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Well, Jared, Hello. thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on, spending some time with us. We, um, you know, I mentioned to Sean, you know, you were on one of my other podcasts this past week, my industry podcast. I thought it was a great, we had a great conversation, great interview. Yeah. I find this topic uh, extremely fascinating, but before we kind of dig in, if you would kind of share a little bit about your background, um, you know, you've got played collegiate golf, um, obviously, you know, some some happenings there that kind of were instrumental in you getting involved in this. So maybe if you could uh, share a little bit about your story and how you got in. Obviously, how you got into the world of poker. I mean, uh, yeah, that's yeah, pretty interesting. I mean, you uh, you know, you kind of gave some of the good highlights there. Basically, the choking started in '97 um, <laughs> when I tried to qualify for the U.S. Open. Sure. And uh, you know that qualification has two two stages to it. So there's local qualifying, which is kind of all the schlubs, yep. and then sectional qualifying includes you know, a pretty good amount of PGA tour players, right? Because only about half the field in the U S open automatically qualifies. Everybody else has to, has to go through, um, sectionals. So, you know, here I met locals first time doing it, um, hit 16 greens, 13 fairways, some of the best golf of my life and basically kind of choke over some short putts, which was my weakness. But, you know, I mean, these are putts that under normal circumstances I'm making. So I miss getting through by a shot and, you know, so, okay, fine. It happens once, it's a one-off happens again, qualifying for the USAM, you know? And so then, then I kind of start diving into Bob Rotella's works in, in um, golf, Sonic game of perfect and other sports psychology. And my game at that point, you know, kind of continues to progress. But again, each time I'm playing in those big kind of national USGA events, uh, you know, got kind of two hands around my neck. So I kind of make a decision, right. That I'm not going to try to make it as a pro at that point um, that I got to have to solve this issue. And, just the answers didn't really seem to be out there. And, and so I kind of reasoned that, all right, well, sports psychology to me felt too kind of behavioral, like you're, you're anxious. So we're going to teach you to, you know, to relax and calm down. You're not confident. So we're going to boost your confidence. You're angry. We're going to get you to, you know, uh, be more Zen. And it just felt too kind of easy. And it, it, again, for me, it broke under high pressure. So I reasoned that, you know, the skills of a therapist would help to kind of get a little bit deeper. And if I could kind of solve my own issues, then I'd be able to have a career, uh, you know, as a coach, uh, or I'd be able to play professional golf. 
And so I went to Northeastern, got a master's degree in counseling psychology, spent two years getting trained and licensed as a therapist. And then once I got my, once I got my license two years later, I quit my job, moved to Arizona and started working with golfers because obviously I knew golf well. And, you know, kind of built up a decent roster, some PGA Tour players, LPG, uh, gal that I worked with, you know, one fairly soon after we started working together. So that was huge. Had some pretty good junior players. One who I started working with is who, when he was 10 years old, is now on the Corn Ferry Tour, just a, you know, kind of a notch below the PGA Tour, which is super cool. Uh, but I found, it, I found it difficult to kind of really break through in the golf industry, partially because um, golfers are kind of full of themselves. Um, they're, they're a bit overconfident. Um, they say golf's a mental game, but they're not really kind of willing to put their money where their mouth is. They too quickly want to look for easy answers, at least at that point. I think it's changed a bit more now since kind of Tiger has changed the game uh, firmly forever. Um, but so wait a minute, you're saying that golfers, they look for easy answers, like little uh, gimmicks I, and things like that that are advertised on Facebook to help your game, to help <laughs> shave like four or five strokes off your game? I mean, it wasn't Facebook imagine. back then, but it was <laughs> it was infomercials and it was, you know, just buying clubs. I mean, they want to work on their swing. I mean, it's it's hard to really it's hard to understand why you suck or, or why you suck in certain situations. And right. it's hard to admit that. And, you know, to admit that you have, you've got like a mental problem, right? Like, you know, for a lot of people is hard to do until you actually realize that like everybody has a psychological weakness. It's not possible to be perfect. If you're perfect, you're dead, right? That's how you know that you're in heaven, uh, at least by conception of it. So um, yeah, we all have weaknesses, but you know, for a lot of people that's hard to admit to. Uh, and ironically, I met, you know, a former professional golfer uh, who became a uh, professional poker player uh, about three years after I started um, coaching. And and he was kind of early in the online uh, poker game, uh, making twenty to thirty thousand dollars a month. Um, but he, he had massive tilt issues. Right. So he, you know, understood kind of the luck factor in golf. Right. You hit a, a good shot, gets a bad bounce in poker. The luck factor is X fold more. Um, you know, it's the equivalent of hitting perfect drive after perfect drive after perfect drive down the middle of the fairway. And it just keeps hitting a sprinkler head and going out of bounds. And, and it would just drive you insane if that was going to continue to happen. And for poke and, and poker, like that can happen for months, even years, honestly, years, like the, the, you know, they've done calculations. It can go on for years if you're, you know, not either, if you're playing live or not playing that much. So for him playing high volume, he's playing 14 tables at one time online, his head is going to explode. And he, would literally rip the desktop computer out of the wall, smash it. It was punching his monitor, punching his, destroying his mouse. And so, you know, it was, it, he didn't care about the cost of the equipment. He cared that he was losing time playing. Wow. Uh, so 14 yeah, we, tables at one time. He's doing yeah, this. It's like a thousand hands an hour. He's playing. That's unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's remarkable. I can't imagine. So you mentioned, and I, I saw this as I was doing some research, Jared, you mentioned the word tilt. I think that'll yep. probably come up again. Can you just define, cause you also talk about this in trading. You talk about this with poker. Like, can you just define tilt? Cause I know it's going to come up a few times. Yeah. Yeah. So tilt um, should be a common phrase, right? Everybody in the world should know that cause it's, it's a lot more fun way of saying you've got an anger problem. Right. Okay. So, Anger management should be tilt management. You know, basically poker players say, oh man, I just, I tilted my face off and, you know, and I'm out, right? Out of a tournament or busted out of the cash game. Um, and so, you know, basically what it means is you get really angry and you make a bunch of bad mistakes, you know, and, you know, there's some derivations of it, right? Like a raging tilt monkey, right? So now, now all of a sudden you're, 
not just tilting, but you're making a pretty big spectacle of yourself too. Uh, okay. So yeah, tilt is a way more fun way of basically just saying you got angry and did a bunch of dumb things. Um, yeah, so, so you threw your clubs, if it's golf, three clubs. Know, yeah. You know, uh, tilt rage, right. On, on the, on the, on the, on the road. I mean, I guess road rage still is probably a good, that's a good phrase. We can keep that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah. What about, mean, what about in business? Cause I, I know you cross over to business a little bit too. And I want to make sure we kind of tie that in throughout the show, but uh, what does that look, what does tilting look like in, in for maybe an entrepreneur or something? Yeah. I mean, so we take like a sales guy who, uh, you know, lost a, a big uh, sale at the last minute. Right. And so, uh, you know, it's unlikely they're going to do something too stupid to another client, but they might do something pretty stupid to that, you know, lost client and then they're gone forever. Uh, or they might just look really bad to other colleagues. Um, you know, I mean, it's, you certainly, I mean, customer service, uh, operations, I mean, you know, being able to control your anger, your emotions in general is a, a big thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think in negotiations, right. I mean, anger can certainly get the better of you. And I think, if you are a really good negotiator, much like if you're a really good poker player, you find ways to kind of poke and prod and, you know, create some of that emotional volatility. So people do make mistakes. I mean, that's, that's what like highly skilled, you know, poker players and negotiators tend to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the anger kind of shows up in lots of places. Sometimes it can be, you know, kind of self-directed, right. You make a mistake, uh, you know, you send an email with a bunch of typos in it and, you know, you're a perfectionist or, you know, you send an email after maybe a couple of too many of these and, uh, you know, wake up the next morning and, you know, so there's a lot, there's lots of reasons why you can get pissed off. Right. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, in poker, we talk about, um, running bad tilt, right? So that's the, the anger you get for going through that bad streak of, of, uh, bad luck injustice tilt, right? When you think something is unfair and fairly happening to you, uh, you'll get angry. Um, obviously mistakes I talked about, um, entitlement tilt. Uh, so those who know Phil Helmuth uh, know some of his ant- uh, antics. You know, he basically gets really angry because when players kind of play back at him in a way that he doesn't think is appropriate, you know, they shouldn't be re-raising him there. Uh, they should know how good he is. And of course, you're supposed to fold that hand. Like, what, you know, what the hell is wrong with you? Um, so there's a sense of entitlement, right? That you believe that you're past, uh, you know, skills and your history and whatever it is that you think you're walking in with means that you deserve respect and you deserve not to be pushed around. You deserve whatever you think the rules ought to be. Yeah, a little uh, so very self-righteous. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. And then uh, there's everybody's favorite revenge tilt. Uh, so <laughs> I love that there's all these names for tilt. That's yeah. Yeah. So I came, I, I mean, in the, in the, in the first poker book, I came up with seven, there's the seven types of tilts, okay. um, you know, uh, and then the seven last deadly one's called desperation tilt, which is where, you get so angry. Now you're willing, now you're just like shoving any two cards in trading. You know, this happens a lot, right? You know, you, you lose a bunch of money. I mean, today's a kind of a prime example of that for a fair number of people, but you lose a bunch of money. And so you're now kind of desperately trying to make up for it. And what do you do? You dig yourself a deeper hole. It's kind of trying to like run in quicksand. Um, yeah, it's so, like traders, you know, they lose, you know, they, they make a bad trade They're, I mean, you, talk about that in the same, with the same industry, they make a bad trade, they lose money. And, and now they're trying to catch up from what, you yeah, know, from yeah. what they lost. So it, it gets, yeah, and, and catch. And like, there's, there are ways of catching up, right? I mean, if you, if you are a good poker player, you're a good trader. I mean, if you're good, in, if good in business, you get like some kind of way of making money reliably. Um, 
you need to continue to do that, right? I mean, obviously you can get better at it, right? You can always enhance your skills and improve the way you're operating, but the odds that you're going to somehow uh, come up with a better way of doing that in the midst of a, you know, kind of moments of rage <laughs> is, uh, is pretty low. So, you know, whatever you think is your good idea at that point is not, um, whatever you think you sense and feel in that moment is not actually right. And the problem is right. When anger really makes you think that all of your actions are justified, uh, you know, and we can think of many a bar fight, um, that uh, would kind of fit in that category. <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't it true that part of your brain, your, your decision-making part of your brain kind of shuts down when you're in that state of either fear or rage tilt, whatever, any emotion actually overconfidence can create it. Um, you know, you can have a euphoric, uh, you know, elation and that can do the exact same thing, but you're hundred percent right. And then that's, that's actually something that everybody needs to know. I mean, it should now be sort of standard and taught in, uh, you know, seventh and eighth grade, uh, cause that's kind of when it begins to really show up. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's proportional. I think, you know, people probably know it as the fight or flight mechanism. Um, the problem to me with that term is that it feels kind of like, kind of like a light switch. Like you either kind of turn it on or turn it off and it's much more like a, like a dimmer switch. Um, or I guess that's not a switch, but a dimmer. And yeah. if you sort of lose access to that logical thinking in proportion to the amount of emotion that you have, once it sort of reaches that, that point. So what I do with a lot of my clients and, and, you know, it also happens when the emotions are too low, right? Cause if you're professional, right. And you're trying to be at your best, your emotions can't be too low either, right? You need to have enough intensity, enough energy in order to kind of power yourself to be in the zone or to be in that optimal state. So we're kind of always looking to kind of move towards that, that, that middle ground. And, and you need to be able to identify the subtle instances, the subtle uh, details and descriptions that indicate that your mind is becoming compromised. Your emotions are rising too high or that they're actually too low and you need to kind of fire yourself up. You know, I think the Atlanta Falcons would have loved to have, you know, kind of understood that in uh, halftime um, prior to the losing the Super Bowl. But I had to bring that one up, didn't you? I yeah. did. I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, speaking of emotions, I, I was on your blog and I saw or somewhere I saw this yeah, yeah. On, your, on your site and I thought this was fascinating. I assume, even though this is trading psychology survey that you did with your with your uh, your list of people, I think obviously probably applies to pretty much. I would think it'd be very similar for poker, for business, for anything else. And you you said that ninety six percent believe that psychology plays an important role in trading. Ninety one percent see emotions affect their trading decisions but only 34% have a strategy for managing. And you, you actually talk a lot in your books about not, not dismissing emotions. Like a lot of times we want to overcome our emotions and you kind of disagree with that. Yeah. 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 So uh, I'll say two things. Um, first, I actually think that um, if we were to do a survey like this across like kind of business, mm-hmm. I think that 96%, 91% number would be way lower. Think so? um, I do. Yeah. I mean, I think, certainly in certain industries, it's just, it's just not talked about enough. I mean, traders are bombarded. They know and understand, uh, psychology matters and it, and it, because it's been, it's been kind of drilled into them since the, the early nineties. I, I think so, if you were to so do it's that, it's not that yeah. people wouldn't have the emotions control. They just wouldn't be as aware of it. Yes, exactly. I don't think they would. I don't think they would say, I think a lot of, a lot of professionals would say, Oh, I, like a, emotions or, you know, I'm a, I'm a cardiologist, I'm a, a lawyer, a salesperson, you know, maybe sales probably are more aware of it. I mean, I think there will be certain industries, but I think across the board, if I were to guess, I would say, um, 
that number would probably be close to the 75%, right? Mm-hmm. Would say that it matters. And they might even just be like, oh, yeah, on the spot, yeah, it matters, right? Of course, they wouldn't think about a day to day, right? Traders, right. 96%, no, day to day, like this thing matters. And then what's that number of the, that can actually recognize their emotions in real time? I think that would be probably lower in percentage, right? So there's a kind of a five point drop, probably would be lower than that. And then of course, the numbers that have a system is, is far lower. So, so yeah, you, to your second point about the, the, the kind of controlling emotion, you know, overcoming emotion, it's, it's really more about realizing that emotions are not the problem, right? I mean, if emotions are the smoke to a fire, right? The fire in this case is these underlying uh, beliefs, biases, illusions, flaws, wishes that we kind of have in the background of our mind. So, you know, an example of that from a, a poker and trading standpoint would be a belief that they can win and make money every single day. And, and some even have an expectation that that's the case. And you can imagine how much more emotion gets created when that doesn't happen. And then when it doesn't happen, right, there's anger that gets created. And then, you know, when they're in a trade or, you know, they're, they're up a certain amount of money, uh, you know, they'll, they'll become fearful and want to kind of lock that up prematurely, you know? And so you, you, you can't control the emotion for the same reason I couldn't, right. When I was playing golf, right. This sort of top down logical process, uh, begins in the, the uh, part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex. And, and that part of the brain can be overridden by the emotional system, right? So it's just sort of this weird architecture in the brain about how, emotions have the power to shut down the part of it responsible for controlling it. So if you're trying to control your emotions, you can't rely on that part of the brain because it's just going to get steamrolled. So the way around that, right, is to understand the cause of the emotion and actually work over time to correct that. And, and if you do, it becomes like the argument that you have with, with a spouse or a significant other or a friend where there's just tension, right? There's clearly a problem. And until that problem has been addressed and resolved, that emotion will remain. Now you can kind of work around it. You can pretend it's not there and it will, you'll get away with it for so long, but ultimately like when it's resolved, I mean, either things go back to as they were or your, your relationship actually stronger, right? Cause there's more, you know, kind of understanding on both sides. So the same thing happens for us, right? We want to actually solve those problems. So the emotion's gone, right? You're performing at your best when you have, you are full of like the right kinds of emotions. The, the Michael Jordans of the world, uh, the elite athletes, they have a mastery of their, their emotions. They understand the mixture that is required for them to be at their best. So for Jordan, he actually needed to get angry in order for him to be at his best. And, you know, there's lots of stories of him, like, making up these slights uh, from other players to generate that emotion. But, you know, for other people, anger becomes too volatile, right? They, they can't control it. For others, they need to feel fear or pressure. You know, the, the poker player that I mentioned earlier, he actually had a brain scan done like four or five years after he and I had been working together. And what they found was that he was able to enter the zone in a very atypical way. And it was really kind of the, the uh, kind of somewhat proof of like what we had been doing because the atypical way was that he was able to do it without anxiety. Most people, most professionals need that extra bit of anxiety to get in the, into the zone. But for him, it was coming from more pure motivation. Right. Yeah. His desire to be his best. That's what drove the action. That's what drove his mind to be at, you know, in, in that kind of zone flow state. Tom Brady does a lot of that. He's like always, <clears throat> it's like he lives with a chip on his shoulder. You know, I was yeah. reading an interview this week. I mean, despite all of his successes, you know, he's 
won more Super Bowls than anybody, any other quarterback in history. But yet, you know, I was just reading a little interview or, or an article about him this week. You know, he's going in. I think they're playing the 49ers in the playoffs this weekend. And, and uh, he's, like, talking about 22 years ago, you know, um, he used to be – I guess he grew up a big 49ers fan when he was a kid. He used to love Joe Montana. He's from California, uh, right? Yeah, he's from California. So he was yeah. a huge 49er fan. But he's like <laughs> – he's just talking about, oh, yeah, um, I'm not – you know, these guys passed over me six times in the draft back 22 years ago, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, I am – I'm no longer a 49ers fan, and I really uh, – you know, I have a grudge against that. You know, I was like, okay. <laughs> but I'm Whatever sure that, you know, that's not really the case. But he, you know, that's something that obviously motivates him. I mean, I would bet if, I mean, I would bet it is to him. I yeah. mean, that's, that's what, that's what they need. Like I say, they, I mean, we're talking about Jordan, yeah. you know, Tiger to a certain degree. Like he lived, I mean, Tiger lived and died on being able to have this sort of God complex for a long time, mm-hmm. right? Until his tooth uh, front teeth got knocked in um so you know yeah. they you know athletes at that level need to have a little bit of psychopath in them right they need to have that conviction i'm not saying that everybody at that level does because i you know you look at like the roger Federers, you know rafa nadal's there's plenty of other athletes that don't do that but the point is that every athlete at that level has figured out the formula mm-hmm. right figured out what kind of mixture of emotions right is is required for them to, to be at their best. Sure. Yeah. I, mean, I think you see that in, in business too. You see the entrepreneurs that constantly back themselves into corners, Yep. you know, so they get that adrenaline rush to like, you know, work out of it. Yeah. It's a, you know, so an, another actually common uh, trait for entrepreneurs, um, as well as, uh, many people is procrastination. Um, so, some, for some people, they have difficulty actually solving their procrastination issues because of how productive they are when, you know, it, yeah. you know things actually yeah. need to get done. You know, right. they want consistency, but they're not willing to kind of take down, you know, what they perceive as to be high level output at, at those certain times. But, uh, yeah. yeah, there's a thrill. Um, I mean, I've done it myself plenty of times. Like there's definitely that thrill of like being able to get everything done and you know, overnight, mm-hmm. well, you know, when you could have done it yeah, a little stand bit up all night, get yeah. done. term yeah. papers come to mind in, in school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? uh, there's a reason um, I can't drink Red Bull anymore. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so that's interesting. What are some other, um, what are some ways that you can do that more on purpose? Like what are some of the, the tips you give to people to help them with their mental game and kind of keep it from like that extreme where it's like, all of a sudden you're pounding red bulls overnight trying to get a project done. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the most simple thing that anybody can do, whether we're talking about trying to be at your best, right. To be in the zone, to have that kind of high level output or to avoid, you know, the fear, the anger, the greed, confidence issues, motivational issues, discipline issues, right. That becomes sort of fairly endemic on the other side. Right. So I, in either direction, you just need to study and take notes about like what's happening when things are off or what's happening when things are optimal or ideal. It's, it's just so easy for people to kind of just roll into one or the other and, and feel like they're random and they're not random, right? They, they exist in very particular patterns, right? We're, we, um, we can study ourselves. And so a very simple way of doing that would be to write down, you know, so let's say we're dealing with you know, kind of the emotions that are problematic. So in those situations, bless you, Jonathan, you know, write down, um, the thoughts that are coming to mind, the emotions that are present at that point, 
maybe the changes in your perception, right? So sometimes those, those perceptions might be uh, like you start to feel like somebody else is out to get you, right? Or uh, you start to think that, uh, that this business opportunity is way better, right? Because again, overconfidence is a big problem. Mm-hmm. You, you overestimate the probability that this thing is, is going to pay off the opportunity is, and you're not really thinking about the downside risk, right? And so what are the situations where it comes up? What are the thoughts that are going through your mind? What are the emotions? What are the changes in your actions, changes in your, de- your decision-making? Just track that, right? Write all that down. Um, on the flip side, you know, same thing. So when things are going really well, what's the situation, right? We're, we're, when we're dealing with the zone and kind of peak energy, we're looking at, you know, kind of motivation. Um, how connected do you feel to that? Um, how connected do you feel to the why, right? The why behind your goals is really important to kind of drive that. Um, you know, what, what is your focus like? Uh, your, um, your energy from a, a physical standpoint, are you doing meditation? Are you, you know, sleep and exercise and diet and those things? Um, so again, the studying is, 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 is key because we have a limited capacity in our brain to hold information. And if you are relying on your memory, there's no way that you can kind of dig deeper and identify kind of all of the details that are surrounding this. Because when you're trying to replicate something or avoid it, you need to know in advance, right, that something is off, right? So there's something off motivationally. Okay, today's not going to be a day you're going to get in the zone unless you understand how to how to ratchet it up or conversely, you need to know that the anger is beginning to kind of pick up, right? There's some frustration, irritation, and if it accelerates, it's going to, you know, lead to, to tilt. In order to identify those details, you need to be writing things down. And to me, it's a lot like uh, dumping out the puzzle pieces to a, a 500 piece puzzle, right? Imagine just only getting to look at, you know, five or seven pieces at once you know, your ability to actually finish that puzzle is going to take a lot longer, right? right. Than it needs to, yeah. you dump all the pieces out. Now you can look at it and put things together. So the more notes you take down, it's like kind of dumping more puzzle pieces out and eventually you can kind of fit things together and understand your patterning. And then once you understand your pattern, I'm not saying it's game over, right? It, there is kind of the GI Joe scenario where, you know, knowing is half the battle here, right? The other half of the battle is like, what are you going to do about it? Right. And, but at least, you know, that first piece, right? What people call self-awareness, self-awareness is just, studying yourself. I mean, it's not like this like mystical thing that you either have or you don't. It's a freaking skill, right? And and every single client that I've worked with, and I've worked with well over, I mean, maybe a couple thousand at this point. I mean, I've been working for 16 years, so who the heck knows for sure, but it's a lot of people. Um, every single person has been able to get better at this and pretty quickly, right? When they actually do the, do the work. So that's the first thing you can do. And, and it's, it's actually it doesn't cost you anything. You just need a piece of paper and a pen. And I mean, part of me is like, well, that seems counterintuitive for like, I think there's, there's people that are more predisposed to tracking and measuring and things like that. And then there's the other group that I think is less inclined to do that kind of stuff. Um, sure. So I can see where like well, the, the, you having a coach or something like that to review your week and help you pull those things out would be very, very valuable, at least to learn the skill maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think you're um, letting them off the hook a little bit. Um, it, it does take just, you know, to do anything, you either have to trust in the person that's telling you to do it right. or you need proof. And so if you're in the, the, I need proof, just do it, do a test, test it out for two weeks. It, I mean, I'm, what I'm suggesting could literally take you five minutes a day. So there's no, there's not, there's not like any big hurdle to doing it except the desire to actually improve yourself. 
And, so is this and, like an end of day thing or in the moment? Is it like an end of day or in the moment kind of thing that you're I mean, taking? Ideally, notes? it's somewhat in the moment, right? I mean, you want to capture the data when it's fairly raw. But if you're at least doing it at the end of the day or at some point in reflection, then you're going to get something that's better than just your memory because you're going to go to sleep and you're not going to remember it. And you you think, right, in the moment, right, we're, we're, we get so convinced that, oh, like, I am never going to do that again. I'm not going to lose my cool like that. And it doesn't happen for a month. Like, there's, you're just not going to remember in advance of it happening. You're going to realize it in the moment. And then you're going to be like, ah, freaking hell. Like, of course I knew, right? Because you weren't prepared. Like, I mean, the, the cool thing about um, poker and trading, and this is why I love those environments. Mm-hmm. The, the feedback loop is so freaking tight. So, you know, the guy was telling, you know, playing a thousand hands an hour. He's playing a PG, he's playing a full 72 hole PG tour tour event every single day. So he goes through all of these ups and downs. So if we want to, you know, study his pattern, just pay attention for a couple of days, maybe, you know, three or four and, and we'll, we're going to be able to map it. Right. But with, with business, you might not have the same situation come up, you know, for six months, maybe a year. Mm, and, yeah, and so, you know, at that scale, but there's probably going to be like lots of small things that are going to show up that you're not going to even know are in the same category as anger because it's not going to rise to that level and you're missing opportunity a to get better at it. Right. Cause you can practice being aware. So yeah, I know it, it, it does not take a lot of time. It just takes a willingness to actually want to get better. And, and I say, um, you know, like a willingness because I'm certain that there are people listening right now saying, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm willing to do it. But then, you know, in a few weeks from now uh, or even a couple of days from now, they're either going to forget about it uh, or they're just not going to do it because they don't think the value is there. You can't, you're not going to, you're not going to learn whether there's value here, at least for a couple of weeks because you just need to kind of practice doing it. But it's, it's not um, rocket science. It just, it just takes a little bit of attention. So can you give us some examples of what that might like, what type of notes somebody might take? So uh, let's take a situation where you're getting angry because of your own mistakes, right? Okay. So, uh, you know, what are the specific thoughts that are coming to your mind, right? Uh, I'm a freaking idiot. <laughs> Wait, why the heck would I do that? Uh, then you want to write down the situation, right? Now, if you're making mistakes that are quite obvious, right, then you should have some re- self-reflection that says, well, why did I even make it? Like what, what got me to that point in the first place? Cause there's probably a high likelihood that there was emotion present before that. So maybe it was complacency. Maybe it was a little bit of boredom distractions. And so then you can start kind of mapping that stuff. Like what are the, what are the situations where you're most likely to be a little bit, maybe kind of too, um, yeah, I guess in some way like overconfident, right? Like your actions are a bit too fast and reactive. Um, so, uh, yeah, write down, write down the specific situation where that's occurring. Um, let's take, uh, let's take fear, right? So, uh, fear might cause a lot of hesitation and second guessing and doubt. And so the, the second guessing and doubt might take the form of, you know, a handful of different excuses, right? That you might say to yourself that ex- tell you why it's okay not to make a decision, uh, you know, at a time when you should. So you write down all those excuses and you can kind of have a running list of all the excuses you make. Right. Sometimes those things can get, get pretty fun, but eventually they'll, they'll become fairly repetitive. So the next time you know that you're making that excuse, you can very cleanly distinguish it as fear, right? Not as some 
intuition, right? Like it's easy sometimes to get caught up in thinking, you know, much like we said with the anger and that self-justification, thinking that that thought that you're having is actually correct, right? It's, it's sort of a high level, like, Oh, in this particular moment, I know exactly, you know, what I ought to be doing, but I can't now. I mean, I can give you some maybe more specific examples in poker and trading. Uh, if you want me to go that route, I can. Um, otherwise I'll kind of stay broad as, as I was. What's, what's more devastating, uh, overconfidence or f- fear? I mean, I, I think overconfidence <laughs> is the bigger problem. Yeah. Um, but people are too overconfident to realize it. Because <laughs> um, it, I guess because it doesn't have that, it doesn't seem as negative as like an anger or something like that. That's society from a societal standpoint is a little more negative. Overconfidence seems almost optimistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 people kind of fail to realize like how much missed opportunity there is like it's easier to like when your losses are are fixed right oh okay out of fear i missed this opportunity and it cost me that right it's known but the the over like the where where the overconfidence kind of prevents you from improving yourself or uh you know let's say missing a big opportunity because uh, your actions reflected a bit of arrogance and you know whoever the client was that they were kind of turned off by it and so you're not going to blame yourself for that you're going to think it was the client. So you're not going to calculate it as a loss that is sort of attributed to you. And so you just sort of fail to calculate those losses and they can be quite large. I mean, uh, there's research that shows that people who are overconfident learn less. You can't, how do you calculate, you know, years of learning less than somebody else? I mean, we probably could maybe throw it into some, uh, you know, spreadsheets and look at, you know, different, uh, you know, uh, uh, salary rankings and things like that. But it's just, it's hard for somebody at a certain level to realize that that's what's being lost year over yeah. year over year. Well, I have a, I have a friend who's a, he does a lot of ice climbing and um, you know, he, he says that's, you know, overconfidence is it's not the people, you know, people that do um, you know, rock climbing and ice climbing, the people that are killed in those incidents are usually the people, they're not the people who are, you know, hesitant from fear because those are the people that are overly careful about everything they do. He said that most of the deaths come from people that are, they know it so well that they become so overconfident that they think they know everything and they miss something in that overconfidence. And it ends up being, you know, to their detriment, you know, they do something. Yeah, so that's a, that's a dramatic example of, I mean, this <laughs> is like, like actual death yeah. versus sort of a metaphorical death death by a thousand like paper cuts right. kind of Japanese, right. like you're killing yourself. You don't yeah. even realize it. Yep. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, like a very simple way of like recognizing overconfidence is like kind of believing that you're just better than you are believing that your mistakes aren't really there, ignoring your own weaknesses, not even like being aware of your own weaknesses, assuming that what you think is going to happen is going to happen. Uh, you know, there's, there's subtle ways that it shows up. Um, and you know, by and large, like if you're a poker player, if you're a trader that has a direct and immediate financial cost, and it's a lot easier to identify Sure, business it's, it's harder, right? Cause the time lag between an overconfident decision and when that feedback's going to come, you know, could be months, if not years sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I think you do, you know, maybe in between those examples, I think going back to golf, um, you see that like when somebody's, yeah, I can, I can make that corner or I can, 
you know, whatever, right? It's yeah. a little bit overconfident that I'm going to hit this shot perfect as opposed to how I normally hit it. And they might be able to do it two out of 10 times. So the two, right. out, of ten, two out of 10 times that it happens, right? It feeds that overconfidence and makes it, you know, even yeah, harder to the movie uh, Tin Cup comes to mind. You know, I was so just like, thinking of that movie, Sean, because like yeah. uh, Kevin Costner, like on that, uh, you know, when he he keeps dropping every time he it goes into the water, he just like, yeah, so, that, it so that, that I probably would call tilt. Right. So there's probably a lot of entitlement tilt in that. So entitlement yeah. kind of has a confidence yeah. kind of vibe to it. But yeah, uh, yeah I can see that, uh, too. Yeah, yeah no, I, I've, been, I've been called uh, Tin Cup by a couple of my friends. Too. <laughs> I mean, the, the movie came out like around the same time. It was like they thought that, yeah. you know, I was kind of trying to pull a Rene Russo here. But uh, yeah, well, Jonathan's a big golfer. I actually probably tilted and gave up. <laughs> permanently yeah. at some point. Um, but Jonathan's a pretty big regular player. So yeah. he even wrote a book about golf. So that's right. That's right. Good for you. Yeah. I love so yeah. He's so coming else back. Do, yeah. So what else do we need to know about, um, the mental game, both, you know, whether, cause I'm sure we have some poker players and some traders, you know, it's, it's trading is becoming more and more popular as a side hustle and that kind of stuff. So <laughs> What are some uh, like 500,000 people uh, created uh, E-Trade accounts in uh, April and May of 2020. So, uh, wow. yeah, uh, I mean, I, I'd say a topic that I think is is important across the board. So not even just in poker and trading um, is the topic of intuition. Um, mm. And and I want to maybe kind of call out a different way of thinking about it that can make it a bit more kind of practical um, and, uh, you know, kind of easier for people to um, understand. Right. So sometimes intuition and instinct are kind of used interchangeably. And to me, that's, that's dead wrong. They're actually the exact opposite of each other. So intuition is your kind of highest level of decision-making, right? It's the information that kind of comes to you in an unconscious way. You, you don't even know why it's right. You just have a strong feeling for why it's right. Okay. Into uh, instinct is based off of your kind of hardwired, kind of automatic level skills, right? Your fundamentals in a sense. And you could think about that level being like a, like riding a bike, for example, right? So any decision that you're making, that's just purely automatic, but automatic in a very basic way, right? It's, it's like the back of your hand. It's just, you know, the poker player I was talking about playing for, you know, 14 tables at once. Most of his decision-making is that it's just very, very instinctual, right? He doesn't have the time no. to yeah. be accessing intuition, right? But, right, in obviously a lot of other situations, let's say when we're reading people in a negotiation, we're reading people in a sales meeting, we're reading people in a courtroom, uh, you know, you name it, right, you have more time, right, provided that you're in a, a spot mentally where you're focused, you're attending, you've got really good energy, there's not a lot of emotion to play, right, you have the ability to kind of access intuition. When I'm working with clients, I rely on it. I mean, because I'm, my job is to kind of like parse through all these details and kind of see something that they don't, right? If I'm just kind of automatically reacting, I'm not going to see the thing that they've hired me to help them see. So, you know, intuition is your highest level of decision-making and comes in an unconscious way. Instinct is your lowest level of decision-making, your lowest level of skill, uh, at least that's been hardwired, right? And will arrive also in an unconscious automatic way. So, but they come from very different places. And, and then we have thinking, right? Thinking becomes our tool where we can sort of escape that automatic level of decision-making and be able to make sense of intuition uh, in a way that's far more pragmatic. For most people, they should not just kind of blindly go with their intuition, 
right? There are people who have become very, very skilled at doing it. But um, for most people, they've got to actually have a, a, you know, a chance to kind of step back and say, all right, here's what a well thought out decision looks like. But here's this information that has kind of come to me spontaneously. How well does it fit? How accurate do I believe it to be? Right? And then they can kind of make their, their highest level decision. And for athletes, right, intuition is basically kind of, again, it's often called instinct, right? But you look at like, you know, the descriptions of the zone, right? And time feels like it slows down and they can sense a player's movement and, you know, adapt their body in a way to avoid getting tackled in football or, you know, Brady can kind of throw in a slightly different arm angle. You know, Patrick Mahomes is a freaking genius at this, right? Like just picking the right arm angle for, for the type of pass he's going to make. That, that is not instinctual, right? It's intuition is leveraging instinct to find the nuance in the moment to be able to make that play. He's a very instinctual player at his base, but he's relying on intuition to be at the highest level that he can possibly be. Yeah, that makes sense. Because um, instinct is going to be, especially in sports anyway, it's going to be more muscle memory type stuff and exactly. reaction. So yeah, I like that differentiation. And I never really thought of those being almost on opposite ends, instinct versus intuition. So that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. I know you have a, I think I saw an ebook on your site about intuition too. So yeah, exactly. Uh, and so yeah, a lot of my, my kind of theory on it is there. A lot of what we talked about there is, and ironically, one of the subheadings originally was going to be called um, instinct versus intuition. And we changed it because, because of what I, what I said there at the end, where, you know, intuition relies on instinct. So they're not like opposing forces, but they're sort of separate ends of a, of a spectrum. Right. And so intuition is the thing that relies on instinct to be able to have, uh, you know, to be able to exist really. <laughs> right. Cause the instinct gives you some freedom from having to competent, you know, conscious, competent type action. Exactly. Yeah. You can't have, freeze up. you need to have, yeah, you need to have like a, one of the biggest mistakes I see in, in, professionals, right? Is there's too big of a gap between them at their best and them at their worst. And when that gap is too wide, you have exactly what you say, which is a lot of conscious, competent material, right? They have to think about too much stuff mm-hmm. and that actually limits their ability to access intuition. When you've got kind of a narrower range, as I say, between, you know, your worst and your best, it's easier, right? There's, there's sort of less friction. There's less stuff in your mind. Your mind is more clear and freed up to be able to kind of like a sponge, just like absorb the data in real time about what's going on. And as long as that absorption is happening without, without a lot of bias, right? This is very, very important for poker players and traders, right? When you're reading the situation, you don't want your own inherent biases to be affecting your vision of what you're absorbing, right? You know, one of the uh, most common cognitive biases are, is called the confirmation bias, right? Confirmation bias means that you are seeking information to confirm what you already know. Right. So, you're, you're filtering this information flow in a way that's going into a bucket that you've already defined, not what the information is actually saying. And so, yeah, if you're doing that, right, then obviously the intuition that you're going to feel is going to be intuition based on a data set that is incomplete. And that's especially important, I think, these days, because most of the algorithms, at least information algorithms, are they're geared towards your confirmation bias. Like they're actually designed they're designed with confirmation. Bias. Yes, exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, trading is a little different cause it's, it's a different type of data than, but it's, yeah, I can see how that, uh, that confirmation bias could definitely get in the way. So, uh, having instinctual patterns 
you know, some go-to skills that you've developed into instincts, I think is, is pretty cool. Well, Jonathan, do you have, we're getting close on time. Do you have some other questions on your end? No, it's uh, been great. Just like uh, before. Thanks uh, for spending some time with us today, Jared. Yeah. Happy uh, to guys. Maybe you can let uh, our listeners know where obviously where they can find out more about you and find out uh, about some of the books that you've authored, uh, the mental game of poker one and two, and then the, the one on trading and yeah, metal game of trading. Yeah. So you're, you're there. I mean, that's the kind of primary spot. Uh, my website, jaredtendler.com. Um, you know, if you go on that uh, resource tab, you'll see, uh, where the, uh, intuition ebook is there. Uh, there's downloadable worksheets there as well. Um, I used to host a podcast, uh, kind of got, uh, bored by it. I'm happy to see you guys kind of keep cranking it. Um, for me, it got repetitive. I was kind of having the same conversations too often. So, um, but there's old podcasts. There's some kind of some great episodes there. Um, you can check those out. Um, and then, you know, the books are kind of widely available, basically wherever you buy your books, whether it be on audible, uh, you know, audiobook, ebook or, or soft cover, um, you can pick it up. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks Good for coming stuff. on, man. It's been, I love this. This has been a lot of fun to talk about. Hopefully, uh, we can have you back on sometime soon. Yeah, sounds good. Good to, good to share a brew with you guys on a Friday evening, and I uh, hope you have a good always, weekend. Always. Thanks a lot. All right, cheers, guys. Hey, we're going to um, put you in the green room for a second. We'll come back to you, and we're going to close out this show. We'll come back and uh, chat with you if you got a few minutes on the uh, back end here. Sure. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Good stuff. You know, it's, what's interesting to me is that, you know, in talking to him, like the game of golf, like more people don't, uh, you know, more golfers out there don't, you know, really, I mean, I think he's right. To, I think he's absolutely right that they are, they're always looking at other things outside of the mental aspect instead. And they're looking at solutions in all the wrong places. Um, yeah. whether it's a, a tweak in equipment and I, I think that's, you know, it's good for, you know, people that are marketing this gadget, well, you know, and that gadget yeah. out there. <laughs> well, you know how as marketers, it's never your fault, right? It's not your fault. It's not you your fault. This. Exactly. Yeah. But that could also sell coaching and stuff too. But yeah, I don't think that's as, impo- as popular in the amateur game as it probably is mental coaching as it is uh, in the professional circuit. So absolutely. Um, but yeah, that would, that would put a dent in club sales for sure. <laughs> if that got too popular. That's so, right. That's there's right. probably a syndicate holding that down. It's <laughs> probably the real issue. It's not your fault. It's not your, it's not your mental game. It's yeah. all the equipment that you're using. <laughs> it well, is the equipment it is the equipment yeah well thanks to all of our listeners you can find us as always at persuasionbythepint.com you can find us on all of your podcast platforms Stitcher Radio iHeart Spotify you name it and uh, Sean we look forward to the next episode we're going to be talking to, we're going to have a random flight on our upcoming episode looking forward to that we're going to get into all kinds of cool stuff yep Sean see you on the flip side see ya see ya